harvest as you take a seat like every week grab your bible and open up today to jeremiah chapter 29 jeremiah it's easy to find we haven't been there before but it's in the very middle of your bible just open up in the middle it's got the most words of any book in the bible uh, so technically it's the longest book of the bible odds are you're gonna find it jeremiah 29 We've got a verse, it's a verse you probably know. If you know this, go ahead, just, just read it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. How many of us know this verse? How many of us have, have turned to this verse in a, in a time of, of pain? or loss. I know I have. I mean, this is a life verse. This is a verse you go back to. This is a verse you, you cling to. This is a verse that you tie yourself down to and, and hold on. When life's completely upside down, I mean, this, this is a beautiful verse. But how many would say, not just the, the sentence, not just the verse, how many would say, I know the story See, that's the beauty. The beauty is not just this one sentence, not just this one verse. The beauty is, it's the story behind the verse. It's the tension that's going on. It's, it's the theology, the history, it's everything that's building. It's the climax that all comes together in this one verse. And that's what we're gonna camp out on this morning. Well, we're gonna see the story behind the verse because when we see this story, this becomes so much more real so much more powerful, so much more meaningful and significant, so much more inspiring. This is a verse. I believe you're here today for a reason. It's not chance. It's not a coincidence. It's, it's not luck. Even if you were dragged out of bed, didn't want to be here, somebody made you come, you're here for a reason, and you're going to see your story in this story. Let's go. Verse 1, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem. Now, there's four things that we need to see as the story starts. Chapter 29, it just said, this is a letter, okay? Chapter 29, it's actually four letters compiled together. Uh, we're just gonna tackle the first one, the half of the first letter. But this is a letter, a letter, a letter that it says, Jeremiah, Jeremiah sent, okay? Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the longest prophet in the Bible. 65 years. This guy spent his entire life as a prophet. I mean, if there's anything like a professional prophet, this is him, Okay, and the name on the back of this guy's jersey, it says Weeping Prophet. That was his nickname. He had a tough life. Uh, he, he is living, he is prophesying in a dark age for Israel. This is hard. He's not a popular guy. He is a prophet. Um, the Old Testament, it has prophets and it has priests. Okay, so priests, those are the people who spoke to God on the behalf of, of the people. And so you'd go to the, the temple, you'd offer your sacrifice, and the priest, he, he would take your sacrifice and he would speak to God for you. 
But a, a prophet's the opposite. A, a prophet, he's the one who came and spoke to the people on behalf of God. Big difference here. We're, we're talking about the prophets. Have you ever seen these guys downtown, like standing on the corner, standing with a, uh, a megaphone, right, on the milk crate? Have you ever seen these guys? They're, they're screaming, like, stop sinning. Judgment is coming. Repent. Turn to the Lord. That's Jeremiah. 65 years of screaming this message. Turn back to the Lord. Stop sinning. Repent. Jeremiah is a prophet. This is a letter. And he's speaking to, it says, uh, to the surviving elders of the exile, to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. If you've ever had a long-distance relationship, you kind of already know what this is like. Chris and I did this for two years, my wife and I. We, we had long-distance for two years. People talk it up. like they, they say, oh, there's valuable lessons, right? Oh, you can learn so much from long-distance. It's so good for the relationship. Come on. Are you kidding me? It's miserable. Relationship is together, not long-distance. The only redeeming thing of a long-distance relationship. It's getting letters. That's it. I, I still remember every day she had a life I didn't. I remember every day going to the mailbox, ripping it open, and just looking in, getting these like anxious butterflies. Like, I see something. Junk, 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 right? And then, oh, here it is. It, it's a letter, Right? That's what's going on here. This is a letter from God, a long-distance letter sent from Jeremiah in Jerusalem to the people in exile in Babylon. And this is where the story starts. This is where the story begins. I want you to feel the weight behind this letter. Imagine with me, we're living in Israel. The lights are supposed to be off, it's okay. We're living in Israel. It's 587 BC and something has gone terribly wrong. This great God-given land, once flowing with milk and honey, has been stolen by our enemies from the east. The 12 tribes of Israel have been beat up and wiped out. Out of the entire nation of Israel, there is only one tribe left, and we can't last much longer. King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are taking over. And it didn't all happen in a week. No, it has been slow. It has taken 30 months, two and a half years of being held like prisoners, painfully slow, torturously slow. He's bleeding us out. We are running out of food and supplies. People are desperate and starving. Our children are starving. Nebuchadnezzar and his army are camped outside our city walls and we are trapped. Nothing, no one comes in or goes out. Any day our water supply will end. Food will run out. Cannibalism has already begun. 
every day we wake up, we wonder, is today the day? Is this it? Our holy city of Jerusalem is dying. We've gone from 250,000 people to barely 20,000. And then it happened. We were under attack. There was no way to stop them. We lost everything. Our homes were looted. Our livestock was killed. Our city is burning. Everything is gone. The gate is broken. Our once mighty, protective city walls are reduced to a mere pile of rubble. Our temple, the temple that held the manifest presence and the very glory of our God has been desecrated. No more holy of holies, no more altar. The gold has been stripped and carried off as a prize of plunder for our enemies. Has some of the few who actually survived the last two and a half years and lived through the attack, we have now been taken as hostages, exiled to Babylon, 500 miles away from our home. No land, no home, no freedom. 90% of the people we used to know are dead. All we have is what we carried on our backs. The temple is gone. This means there is no access to God. For the last six months, we have been hostages in Babylon. Can you feel the weight of this letter? I mean, what does something like that do to faith? Three years of questions, doubt, pain. You go outside, check the mailbox. Here it is, Jeremiah 29. Look down with me, verse four. It says, thus says the Lord. Look at verse eight. For thus says the Lord. Look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord. God sent this letter. The Lord is speaking through this letter. It's pretty clear. He's got three things to say. It's written to a lot of people. I want to narrow it down to three people. I want to narrow it down to three types of people. First, people with lost hope. My goal this morning, I want to encourage you. People with false hope, I'm going to correct you. And people with this true hope, I want to challenge you today. Let's start in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Did you catch that? (laughs) The very first thing that God says in this letter, I did it. God says, I sent you to exile. He's not saying, I just allowed it to happen. Blame Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I did it. I'm responsible. Three years of going through that, and this is the first thing that you read. God did this. Point number one, God has a plan. 
We, we, we can't miss this. This is where the story begins. God has a plan. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's not just randomly allowing things to happen. And we know that. We know that right here. But the reality is when a, when a boulder is dropped on our life, what do we first think? It's so easy to lose hope. God has a plan. Here's a question. Does it, does it always make sense why things happen? the way they happen, or, or to who they happen. Why me? Why them? Or, or why not? The time of, of when, it, does it always make sense of when, why, who, this kind of stuff happens? No. Maybe you've lost your job this last year. Uh, maybe you've, you've lost a loved one. It, it could be health. It could be financial. It, it could be a lifelong disability. Maybe it's, it's a raw pain. I mean, this is recent. This is real. This is going on right now. Maybe this year has just been disappointment and pain after pain filled with problems. In the most loving way that I can, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Pain does not define you. Your problems, your loss, your hurt does not define you. See, your circumstances around you do not define you. God created you to be more than the trials that you're enduring through your life. Does it make sense? Not always. But we cling to the fact that God has a plan. And in this plan, verse five and six, God wants to do two things. It says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. <laughs> in this plan, God, God is saying, hey, build a house, Right? Go plant some carrots, get married, have kids. The, the point he's saying is, is settle down, hold on. You're gonna be here a while. It, a part of God's plan, he, he is saying, multiply there. It says, do not decrease, multiply. Let me pause here for a second because we need to understand an assumption here. When Israel first got to the exile in Babylon, when they first got there, Psalms 137 says, we sat down by the waters of Babylon and wept. So this is not saying when trials happen, when a boulder's dropped on you, just buck up and keep going and everything is okay. No, this assumes there's been six months of mourning, six months of going through this grieving process. But, but there comes a time when God is calling you Continue living. Keep going. I have more in my plan than for you to sit in despair. He says, I want to grow you. I want to work in you. I want to multiply you. This is an amazing word, multiply you. It's, it's the Hebrew word, rabach. Say it with me, rabach. Okay, Hebrew, you've got to get the back of your throat in it. Okay, so it's okay to spit on the person in front of you. All right, get ready. Rabach. The word means just multiply, to increase, to grow, to get bigger. Word picture, multiply like rabbits. That's what it's saying. It all makes sense. Multiply, get bigger, grow, increase. But he's not just talking about the stuff or the size. 
See, the noun form of this word, the noun form, it originally meant something like a person in a position of, of influence, a, a leader, a commander, a boss. The idea was somebody who had influence over a, a special relationship with a group of people. We see this in the New Testament. The word becomes rabbi. We think of this as just a teacher and his disciples, but the context, the original meaning was, was no, a, a person of influence with a people in a special relationship. Do you see this coming together? God is saying, I've got a plan. I want to rabach. I want to multiply you. I want to work in you. I want to draw you into this special relationship with me. Continue living. God has a plan. He, he wants to be growing and working inside of us, no matter what's happening in our circumstances surrounding us. Verse seven, let's keep going but seek the welfare of the city for which I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is insane. I, this is the opposite of what I want to hear, right? Everything that Shay was reading, everything that happened, that's our story. And now we're supposed to seek the welfare of these people? I want God to come back and take over. I want God to come back. I want payback. I want for them to suffer for what I've gone through. God says, pray for them. Pray to the Lord on its, on its behalf. Be a, an advocate. Intercess for them. The word is seek the shalom of Babylon. This idea of shalom Say it with me, shalom. It's not just peace, it's, it's joy, it's healing. It's, it's complete wholeness and restoration. It's, it's peace. It's this idea of, of, of rest and harmony. God is saying, I want you to seek the shalom of the city. And he says, because when, when they find their shalom, you will find your shalom. Look at the end of verse seven. It says, for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. I think the natural thing to do when, when life is hard, it's, it's to stay in bed, right? I mean, it's, it's, to, it's to clam up, just inward focus. It's, it's to hurt. And here what God is saying is, is go pray for other people. Go serve other people. Uh, instead of just wanting to help myself, go help other people. I, that's the complete opposite of, of what I want to hear. That's the complete opposite of what, what's natural to me. But God is saying, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For in its shalom, by going and serving and helping others, God's going to bring you healing. God's saying that in the, in the moments of your weakness, in the moments of your loss, in the moments of pain, the best thing you can do, go surround yourself with others. Be, be willing to serve and help others because in that ministry, he will bring you shalom. He will bring you healing. If you've lost hope, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. God has a plan. 
You are not defined by what's happened in the past. You are not defined by the things around you. God has a plan, and in this plan, God wants to grow you. He, worked, he wants to work in you. He wants to bring you into the special relationship with him, and he wants to work through you. He wants to work through you into the lives of others. That's where the healing can start. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Real quick, look over to chapter 28. Uh, The heading says, Hananiah, the false prophet, What's going on is, is Hananiah, he's there in Babylon. He's walking around. He's saying, in two years, in two years, we're going back home. In two years, we're going to rebuild the city. We'll rebuild the temple. In two years, we're going home, and it's all okay. And then there's the other message, the letter from Jeremiah. He says, oh, build a house, plant some carrots, grow old, have kids, Settle down, put your roots in here. It's gonna be a while. I, I think for us, who do we want to believe? I, I wanna believe this guy. I wanna believe in two years it's okay and I'm going home. I wanna believe his message. That's the purpose of Jeremiah 29. That's the point of this letter. That's why Jeremiah from Jerusalem sent this letter to Babylon. There's a false prophet. The people are being deceived. The people are, are listening to this lie. They're entertaining them, themselves with this idea of, of false hope, and it's devastating. Verse 8 says, Do not let your prophets, do not let Hananiah deceive you. The, the point is, don't be deceived by the lies others believe. False hope always sounds better. It's, it's a little true. It, it sounds good. It sounds better. But if it's a little true, that means it's not true. It means it's false. And it means it's going to let you down. It's going to disappoint. It's not the hope that we have. Uh, we've got a lot of, of, of false hopes. Uh, I think we have a lot of lies that the world says, things that will make life better, Right? Uh, life's better in the future. When, when, I, when I graduate from school, when I get through college, when I get a job, when I get a new job, life's better just when I just kick it up on the beach, when I'm retired, when I'm done with all that work, life is then better. Life's better if I, just, if I love myself more or if, if, if I can buy this new home, if, if I can get this, if I can lose 20 pounds, life just becomes so much better. If, if I can just focus on, on my family or my career, or my job, my, my friends, if, if I'm a success, life gets good. These things aren't bad, but they're not what we, we build our life on. Uh, these things can change. These things can disappoint. These things will let us down. People will let us down. Jeremiah is writing this letter. He's saying you need to tie yourself to something. You need to anchor yourself to something. You need to have a, a, a true hope. Don't be deceived by the lies that people believe. The rest of that. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. 
There's two ways to kind of interpret this verse. Uh, the first is, is how I just read. A lot of you have this. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Uh, but do you see a little footnote? Do you see a little letter or number in your Bible after that second word, dream? Uh, this, this word, it, it, it's saying uh, something that causes you to do something. That's the meaning. And so what it's saying is, is do not listen to the dreams that cause you to dream. This is the problem with, with false hope is it can get embedded into our mind. We, we can hear a dream. We can hear something that we want to believe. Uh, we want to listen to the lie. We want for it to be true, but it's, it's, it's not true. It's going to let us down. It's going to disappoint us. It's saying, don't listen to the lies you want to believe. Even if it sounds good, even if it sounds better, don't listen to the lies of false hope. Let's go back to, to the story here. In the Old Testament, God made three promises, three covenants with his people in Israel. In Genesis 12, he made the promise to Abraham. He, he made the promise of his promised land. Exodus 19, he made this promise to bless Israel, to take care of them, to make them stronger, to, to have their back, defeat their enemies. 2 Samuel 7, God promised a, a godly king to reign on the throne. But because of sin, because of, of disobedience, his covenants were broken. The promise was off. And so God rose up prophets, people like Jeremiah, to call the, be to call the people back. But it's too late. The exile. They're sent to Babylon. Put yourself in their shoes. I mean, the last eight hundred years. God has had your back. He's provided everything. He is blessed. He is there. All of a sudden, everything has changed. They go from everything now to nothing. And now they're sitting in Babylon. I've got to be thinking that, what's God doing? I mean, this is not fair. What, what is happening? I mean, we're the people of God. We're the children of God. What is God doing to us? See, what starts out as a blessing can easily become an expectation. And an expectation is something that, that we think we, we deserve. And over time, this can become something that, that we demand. I'm a child of God. I expect... God's blessing. I, I expect that, that God is going to provide and he's going to take care. And, and if he doesn't, well, it's unfair. I'm not getting what I deserve. I, I, I want to demand. Do you see the problem with this? I mean, our, our culture has this idea of entitlements where, where we get things that we think we deserve. Um, here in, in Babylon, they got nothing. Our culture has this idea of, of a victim mentality where, where if something bad happens to me, I'm just, I'm a victim. And we've got to be very, very careful with that thinking. Because in, in God's plan, there, there are no victims. God has a plan to grow you, a plan to work inside you, a, a plan to work through you. God has a plan. Let's keep going. For people with false hope, I, 
I want to correct you. I want to help correct the thinking. I want for you to anchor yourself to the Lord, to tie yourself to God. Because the fact is, things can change, people can change, but the Lord will never disappoint. The Lord will never let you down. The Lord will never, will never leave you, forsake you, abandon you. We need truth speaking. We, we need prophets, people in who, are, who are in our life who will stand with us, who will speak the truth to us. And so when we're believing the lies that others believe, when we're, when we're listening to the lies that we want to believe, somebody is there, somebody is, has my back, somebody is willing to say the hard thing. Even if I don't want to hear it, they're willing to say it because they know it's what I need to hear. Church, we need prophets in our life people who are willing to speak the word of God to us. Let's keep going. To everybody with true hope, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to endure. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, 70 years I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back from this place. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've gone through this life-altering pain, a loss, something's happened. The hardest thing to hear is it's permanent. It's, it's, it's not gonna be fixed. It's not going away. 70 years, this is their entire life they're here in Babylon. The hardest thing to hear is, is this is this is it. This is the reality. What do you do? Verse 10 says, I will visit you, right? We've got the promise of, of God's presence who wants to come alongside us. God's presence who, who will give us the, the ability to endure, enduring with God's presence. In the times of trials, when a boulder is dropped in our life, we cling to God. We cling to his presence. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He is committed to us. He is with us. He is by our side. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Finally, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, for shalom. Not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The more time I've spent in this verse, the more I am convinced this is absolutely a promise. This is a promise. God has a plan. And in this plan, regardless of what's happening, no matter how I'm feeling, God has a plan. God's plan is for our shalom. It's for our welfare, for our well-being. His plan is, is, is to provide us. His plan is not for evil, the word ra'ach. It's for rabach. His plan is not for evil. It's not for wicked it's not for calamity to happen to us. God's plan is, is to grow us, to work in us. And his healing comes as, as he's working through us. God's plan is a, is a promise. It's a promise for a future, for a hope. Last point, be seeking God with others. 
That's how we endure. We can't do it alone. Be seeking God with others. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. Jeremiah 29, it's, it's not just a passage for trials. It's, it's not just a passage for, for significant life transitions. It's, it's not just a passage when bad things are happening. This is a passage for the everyday grind. This is a passage for us to hold on to, to cling to every day. It's, it's talking about, are you seeking me? Are you calling on me? Are you praying to me? With your whole heart, are you coming to me? Then you will find me, says the Lord. But we can get so caught up in the to-dos, the list, the calendar, the schedule. We can get so caught up in, in all of our plans that we're completely missing the planner. Uh, we're completely missing the Lord and what he's wanting to do in our life. He says, come to me, call on me, seek me, come and find me. If that's something that's lacking in your life, I wanna challenge you. Be seeking the Lord. It's really hard to do that by yourself. Be seeking the Lord together. Endure together. Here at Harvest, one of the best ways that we do this is in the small groups. So I'm gonna stand on my soapbox of small groups. And if you're not in a small group, I wanna challenge you, get in one. You need a prophet. You need people in your life. You need people who will hold you up, who will stand by you, who will stand with you. People who can speak truth into your life. People who can be there to encourage you. People who can be there to love on you, to minister to you. It's so hard to endure by ourselves. We need people who will hold us up. Teens, join a small group. Find Pastor Cody. Couples, singles, Get in a group. If, you've, uh, if you're new to Harvest, get in a group. Not only will this help you connect to others, this is the way you can seek the Lord with others. If you've been around here for a while and you've just never really tried it, it's not really your thing, or maybe you tried it and you, you didn't like it, you stepped out of it, I, I wanna challenge you, get in a small group. This is how the Lord wants to work in you. This is how the Lord can provide. He can put people into your life to speak truth. This is how the Lord can encourage you. This is where the Lord can bring healing as he allows you to come alongside other people. Get in a small group. If you're in a small group, I want you to be in it with your whole heart. I want you to be serious about it. I want you to be coming prepared, coming early, right? Not just after the clock has started, come early, be there ready, be prepared, be engaging with other people during the week, be serving other people. Our whole small group's built on this idea of mutual ministry, where it's not just the leader who, who teaches, it's, it's the leader who facilitates ministry. Mutual ministry is, is when you're, you're ministering to other people. Don't wait for the leader, initiate the relationship, encourage the people in your group. Harvest, we, we've seen this. 
we've been a place that has been there for people in trials. And we've been a place that's been there just in the everyday reality. Here's a list. We, I've seen people this fall helping pack boxes, unloading trucks, and moving others. I've seen people making meals, uh, visiting each other, giving Christmas gifts, giving anonymous gift cards, anonymous cash to other people in their group and other small groups. We, we've seen people helping with childcare, people helping provide job opportunities, visiting the hospital, raking leaves, mowing yards. This is the everyday stuff where people are coming side by side. People are coming with others together. Uh, we're, we're just seeing this amazing, uncommon community in our small groups. And I'm telling you, if you're not a part of a small group, you're missing it. God is doing a work through people and in people getting a small group. The only way that Israel endured through the exile, the 70 years, two things. They were seeking the Lord and they were enduring together. From this came a whole new generation, people who were fired up for the Lord. Uh, people like Nehemiah and Ezra, people who came back to Jerusalem, who rebuilt the city, who restored the temple. Uh, people who had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who were, were obedient and faithful to the Lord. And after 70 years, these people came back. But it's interesting. God's presence, even though they built the temple, God's presence never came back. God's presence never came back to the temple. It never again filled the holy of holies. And so we fast forward the story 600 more years and God's presence came back. God's presence, his manifest presence took on flesh and now God is with us. God is for us. God stood for us in our place and this is our hope. This is the hope that can't be defeated. This is the hope that doesn't let us down. This is the hope that does not disappoint. This is the hope we base our story on. This is where we put our story in that story. And this is the promise. It's so much bigger, so much more than the one sentence we tend to pull out and cling to, oh, we've got a person, we've got Christ who we hold. Let's pray. God, your word, it can be encouraging. It can be correcting. It's a word of, of truth that you want to speak to us that you want to minister to us. Lord, it can be a word that's hard to hear, but God, we need to hear it. We need to hear the truth, Lord, that you do have a plan, a truth, Lord, that you do have a promise for us. God, that you always have our best interest in mind. You want to heal us, to grow us. You want to restore us. Yes, Lord, you do want to bless us. You do want to provide for us. But the way you do that isn't always how we think or, or the way we think. God, your promise 
is so good. Your son is so good. Lord Jesus, you have given us a hope, a hope in you, a hope that doesn't go away, a hope, a hope that we can anchor ourselves to, that we can tie down to you, your truth, your word, your son. That's our hope. That's our confidence. God, that's our call to you. Lord, heal us. Lord, provide. Lord, be there when we need you. God, may we seek you in these things.